Hey Grace Bible, uh, this is Chad and I just want you to know that we realize the uniqueness of this situation and we want to remind you just how much we love and care for you. That in all of this, our hope and our desire is to communicate to you that we want to protect our flock, that we want to shepherd you well, and in so doing we would encourage all of us to think about what it means for us to care for our neighbor and for us to honor God in our community. And so that's the bad news. The reason it's bad news is I, I love meeting together. I love us sitting down together every week and looking at God's Word and seeing what He has to say to us and how that affects the way that we live and why we are here in the world that God has placed us in. There is some good news to all of this for us as a church that may be different than other places. And that is that I am very accustomed to you not laughing at my jokes. So everything is okay, and we're going to work through things from that point forward. We're going to look at our passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 today. Actually, it's chapter 5, verse 8, through chapter 6, verse 12. And I'm going to ask you, since I don't have you with me in the room, to interact personally to interact, but I would ask for you to interact with our Facebook feed, to talk back, to click like, to message me if you don't like something, to work with us as a family of faith and think about what it means for us in these very particular, peculiar, unique times that we would consider that being part of the family of God is about much more than us gathering, though it's not less than that. But we've been encouraged to gather in a different way. So we're going to gather together today and we're going to look at God's Word and see what He has to say to us from a book written by a king who had everything, yet he looked at the world and it seemed like he had nothing and that everything was meaningless. So go with me if you have your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8. If you see oppression of the poor and the perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation because... One official protects another official, and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all, and the king is served by the field. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile or meaningless. When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his eyes? They, the sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. There's a sickening tragedy that I have seen under the sun, wealth kept by its owner to his harm. The wealth was lost in a bad venture, so when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again, naked as he came, He will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does the one gain who struggles from the wind? What is more, he eats in darkness all of his days with much frustration, sickness, and anger. Here's what I have seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor 
one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them. Take his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God for he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. Here is a tragedy I have observed under the sun and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and it's a sickening tragedy. A man may father a hundred children and live many years. No matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things and does not even have a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For he comes in futility and he goes in darkness and his name is shrouded in darkness. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it has more rest than he. And if a person lives a thousand years twice but does not experience happiness... Do not both go to the, do they not both go to the same place? All of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. What advantage does the wise person have over the fool? What advantage is there for a poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes see than a wandering desire. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Whatever exists was given its name long ago, and is known what mankind is. But he is not able to contend with the one stronger than he. For when there are many words, they increase futility. What is the advantage for mankind? For who knows what is good for anyone in life, in the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow? Who can tell anyone what will happen after him under the sun. Let me pray for us as we dig into this text together. Jesus, you are good, and we know and we believe and we trust that you care for us. We believe that you are going to make much of yourself and that your word will reign true in our hearts as we are processing this incredibly difficult time. Lord, I pray for leaders. I pray for doctors. I pray for all of us, God, that you would help us to see what it means to care for one another, to love our neighbor, to make much of you in what seems to be very, very difficult. And I pray that we would realize, God, that you have something to say to us from your word today because you are the God who says things to your people. We trust you and we ask you, Lord, in the midst of a dark, difficult time to help our unbelief and to help us believe you more than we did yesterday. That you are good. You work all things to the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We ask all of it in your name, Jesus. Amen. I've noticed lately that things that people used to do for work 200 years ago are now being done for pleasure. Back in the day, people would work with cows. I read the other day that there is a farm, a bed and breakfast in upstate New York that is offering a new way for us to unwind. Rather than you working with cows, they will allow you to cuddle with their cows for $75 an hour. Beyond the idea of cow cuddling, which is awkward to think about, there is also the idea of goat yoga. If you've not noticed, goat yoga is growing more and more popular. It costs 30 to $40 for a session. And during this session, you will do these awkward poses 
However, you don't do those awkward poses alone because we should never walk alone. You do these awkward poses as a goat will walk on your back or on your neck or do what goats do. Don't show up with a snicker in your pocket. At, at this price, you have the goat on your back. You can also take the goat yoga classes with wine as if the goat itself is not enough. Axe throwing has become incredibly popular as well. Axe throwing is exactly what it sounds like. There is an axe and you throw it. And when you throw the axe, there's a target on the wall, a bullseye, if you will. When we look into Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and 6, we see the idea of a target that we are throwing toward, that Solomon is taking us toward. It's called a chiasm in Scripture, and it functions in a very unique way in that you have the central idea of the text, and there are various rings around that central idea. So keep in mind, we have a bullseye, and we are working toward that bullseye. We find it in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 20. And the rings around this bullseye, the rings around this target, imagine the sign at target if you are not with me right now. The rings around all of these things help us to understand this passage better and what God would have to say to us from this passage. The first thing that we notice as we look at this is the outer ring, and you see these reflective ideas on this outer ring in chapter 5, verses 8 through 12, and in chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. They encircle the bullseye. They are moving us in the direction of focusing on this target. And to paraphrase Mick Jagger, this outer ring tells us this, we can't get no satisfaction. Though we've tried and we've tried, hey, 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 it's what we say. When you look at this text, you notice that, 8 through 12, as we talk about the idea of oppression and the poor and the perversion of justice. In 8 through 10, you notice that this idea of a lack of satisfaction is found in government officials. It's in the public. The king is the only one who is rewarded for the hard labor and toil of his people. When you look to verses 10 through 12, you move beyond the idea of the public notion that a king would be dissatisfied. You see how all of us are personally dissatisfied. Go with me again and focus in on verse 10. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This is meaningless or, or futile. When good things increase, the one who consumes them multiply. What then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his own eyes? The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Verses 7 through 9, All of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. What advantage does the wise person have over the fool? What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others. Better that the eyes see the wandering desire. This too is futile and it's a pursuit of the wind. You'll notice there's a primary word that runs through these various verses and it is the word consume. Consume. Eat. Enjoy. Look. Feel free to draw a circle or write a note as to where you see this word or the idea in these verses. 5.11, 5.12, 5.17, 5.18, and chapter 6, verse 2. What is it that you, friend, are pursuing for satisfaction? Because the fact of the matter is we all have a little bit of a glutton in our hearts. 
It is why a man near my hometown of Chattanooga bought 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer trying to sell them online only to be shut down by Amazon the other day. If you think that's an exaggerated idea, it's why all of us are having a hard time finding toilet paper at the grocery store. We are hoarders by nature because we want to live for ourselves, to take care of ourselves without any consideration of those who are around us. Greed is compared to the appetite. And what the comparison is this, you keep eating, but you cannot be full with what you are eating. In these strange days, it would be very good for us as people who claim to follow Jesus to consider the wise words of Jen Wilkin, fantastic Bible teacher out of Dallas. As we look at our family and friends and spend time with those that we love, she says this, In your example lies your child's greatest hope for finding satisfaction beyond stuff. So in a very difficult situation that we are walking through together as a community of faith and as a community in general, it would be helpful for us to show our children, not only our children, but our neighbors, the people that we love, what it means to find satisfaction beyond what we have. The passage moves us from this outer ring to the second ring. The second ring lets us know that we don't just we are not just unable to find satisfaction, we are also unable to find joy. And you notice this missing joy as you look at verses 13 through 17 and how 13 through 17 are reflected in chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. These verses working together to teach us, these verses working together to show us what God is doing as He moves us toward the central idea of this text, helping us to see what Solomon would have for us to know what God would have for us to know about Himself, about what it means for us not to be consumed with simply having, but being able to see that apart from God, it's going to be a struggle to enjoy what life is in the fullest sense. Uh, Go with me, verse 13 to 17. There's a sickening tragedy that I have seen under the sun. Wealth kept by its owner to his harm. The wealth was lost on a bad venture, so when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again, naked as he came. He will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does the one gain who struggles for the wind? What is more, he eats in darkness all of his days with frustration, sickness, and anger. You'll notice on the back side of that passage, there's a tone of loneliness that's there. That we are a lonely people when we do not consider that joy is not found in our things. Now let's be clear that as we consider this person and their money, as we see the idea again in three, verse, chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, the idea of being dissatisfied with money is not because of money. As a matter of fact, money has lots of advantages. Money is not bad. It is neutral. Money is not wicked. We are wicked. Our hearts are wicked. A pastor friend points out a quote by Rockefeller when he was asked, how much money is enough? And Rockefeller's reply was, just a little more, a little bit more. It's almost like if I had a hammer with me or a brick, no one would look at either one of these two things and find them to be negative. 
Man, that's terrible that you have a hammer in your hand. I cannot believe you'd have a hammer. What a terrible thing a hammer is. Or a brick. I cannot believe you'd have a brick. Now, there are lots of damaging things that can be done with a hammer and or a brick. Or if you use them together, a hammer brick. Here's what you would find as you had these two things. With a brick or with a hammer, I can break the window of a car. I should not, but I am able to do that. I am able in this world to do that. With a brick, I could do the same thing. I'm not encouraging you to do this at home. Please keep your bricks and hammers in the right place. Or, rather than using these things to do damaging things, you can use them to build a foundation for a home. You, you can use them for good things. You can use them for the construction projects you're going to have over your house while we are in quarantine. There are lots of things that you can do well with these things. In the same way, money is not bad. It is something that we use and something that we have to consider. The Bible actually points out there are four lived in this life at all. Harsh words. But there's a point to this tragedy. The person that we are looking at who fathers these hundreds of children has everything. But if he misses the one who gives those things, he has nothing. We have so much. What if we were to look at our things this week? to evaluate what God has given to us and how God has given them. And we were to think about how those things are given to us by Him and we would look around at the people that He has placed in our lives, in our homes. What if we looked at the contacts in our phone and we considered those people, the relationships that we have and how they don't exist in and unto themselves but God would desire for us to live beyond ourselves. The third thing, ring that we find in this passage. Now notice, ring one, we can't find satisfaction. Ring two, we cannot find joy. When you look at verses 18 and 19 and chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, you see the inner ring before we get to the bullseye. And this inner ring is the good and the bad there is good and there is bad, that, and I'm going to use these two things, Solomon says, to take you to where I would have for you to go. 18 and 19, here's what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labors that one does under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, because that is his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God for us to enjoy life. But the counterpoint to that, that you find in verses 1 and 2, because there is a tragedy. Or Solomon may say, but this is what confuses me. Here's a tragedy that I've I have observed under the sun. And it weighs heavily not only on me, but on all of humanity. That God would give a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is a futile and it is a sickening tragedy. It's the old illustration of how you do not see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. 
It's the idea that we would look and we would see we have this life. We have this life to make much of Jesus. Right now we have a really difficult situation in this life that is dark and seems darker today for many than it was yesterday. Overwhelming, more overwhelming for many today than they even considered it would be three days ago. So we look and we would see that this life was given to us by God to make much of God. And that we would be hope in the face of that. That we would not fall away in fear because we have a God who does not call us to fear. That we would deal with the anxieties and stresses that things like this cause, knowing that our God does love us and He is in control and He is for us and He has not stopped being for us. That we would be wise and we would honor leaders and people in our lives. We would trust God and we would trust people who follow after Him. We would believe that God appoints people to places and positions where we can find Him giving us glimmers of hope. When you look at this text, it's moving us in the direction of the center. The center point of all that you see, the bullseye, the target. The target of all that you find in Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 6, verse 12 is found in verse 20. As we talk about this man where he says, For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. So what would God have the follower of Jesus to do in this life in general and in our situation in particular? God would call us to enjoy Him in the moment. It was really hard to choose to preach this text today. I had lots of things running through my mind. Should I step away from it? Should I address a situation in particular? Should should I pause? Should we not do anything at all? All of these things were on our mind. But I read that the bullseye of the text is that we are to enjoy God. The God who we have been, had revealed to us in the person of Jesus in the moment. It does not tell us what that moment is. What does it mean for me and for you to enjoy Jesus in this moment? We need to hear that we're called to enjoy Jesus. I needed to hear this. I needed to hear this now more than I did a week ago. That I would enjoy Jesus and I would find Him here. I would realize He has not left us behind. He is caring for us. He is. We can cast our cares upon Him that we, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, can boldly approach the throne of God. All of these things are true for us. We need to hear this. I need to hear this. We all need to wrestle with this truth. Pastor John Piper says this, and I love it, Life is wasted if I do not grasp the glory of the cross. And I do not treasure it for the treasure that it is. And cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in the world. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Sicknesses have been present 
since the fall. But the call of God on His people does not change. That we would learn to make much of God in hard times, difficult times. And we would see glimpses of how we can enjoy God in this moment. We would find the places where we are seeing small echoes of the glory of God. Think about these things that we've been able to see this week that are encouraging. It's encouraging to see glimpses of our government making an attempt to work together. We should find hope in that. Uh, this is this what's taken place here has forced me to slow down. Hopefully it is forcing you to slow down, to look at the life God has given you and to, to value what He's given you for what it is. Not to be moving so fast that you miss Him in this moment. This has reminded me to ask myself, and who do I really trust? And who do you trust? Because life is difficult and life is fragile. Life is futile under the sun. And this has given me a deepening appreciation for what community is. It was really hard to decide for us not to gather today. Because we love you. All of our elders love you. They care for our church family. We want God to be made much of. And we believe that gathering is incredibly important to what we do. So we need to think through what it means for us to, to gather, even virtually. And to think that God has still called us to be His people empowered by God for the purposes of God. We've met with Jesus. We trust Jesus. One friend pointed this out, and it, was, it stuck with me. He pointed out what Joseph says in Genesis 50 when he meets with his brother. What the, what the enemy meant for evil, God has intended for good. My prayer would be that we would enjoy God in the moment and we would find the ways that we can show that He is good in what seems to be not so great. Think about this as you walk through your neighborhood. Prayer walk it from time to time. Hope reminded me of how important that is the other day. That we would pray for our neighbors. We would pray for our, our family and friends. We would pray for those who are around us. That we would think about the fact that there are still places globally that are impacted by this. That we would pray for not only what's taking place around us, but we would pray for missionaries all over the world seeking to make Jesus known in hard places. That our desire would be that we would see that we are God's people made in the image of God, all of us, and that our hope and our desire and we would, that we would push toward God being made much of in what seems to be a godless situation for so many. But we have a God who is our hope. And it is in Him who we put our trust. Church family, we love you. I've said it multiple times. I mean it every time. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray over us. And then I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer over us that we find in the King James Version of the Bible. And as I say this, you feel free to say it along from your house, from your Facebook stream. Feel free to type it out. Whatever you want to do, I trust you. Jesus, we thank you for today. And we thank you that your word is good and it's true. We thank you that we are called to enjoy you in a hard time.
I pray that as we spend time with you today, as we seek to spend time as a community of faith in a different way, that you would help us to trust you more. That we would continue to believe and that you would help our unbelief. We ask it in Jesus' name. And we'll say this together. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Love you guys.